So before we get into baptisms and this celebration moment, we're in the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 4 through 15, uh, but most of our time will be zeroed in on 7 to 15. So if you have one of these, a phone, you can type in John 16. And you can scroll right to verses 4 through 15. If you have a physical Bible, that's great. But right now, I'm going to read this section where Jesus begins to speak about the Holy Spirit. Right? In some of your traditions, you might know it as the Holy Ghost. And so everybody's like, whoa, what is this? Right? This Holy Spirit thing. So we're going to talk about that today. John 16, here we go. This is Jesus speaking. I have told you this. So that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Here's the reality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is powerful and personal. The Holy Spirit is powerful and personal personal. Okay, I need you to repeat this after me. Okay, I know this might sound weird or feel weird. It doesn't sound weird. It feels weird for me to ask you to respond, but we're going to say the Holy Spirit is powerful and personal, all right? Participate with me. The Holy Spirit is both and personal. He's powerful and personal. Now, if you think about power and person and you just think, think back for a minute Um, Maybe you are right now um, kind of in the teenage years, uh, or you can remember back to when you were. If there was someone you really liked, and all of a sudden they got proximate close to you, and say they were right amongst you, almost to where you could feel their breath, you know those moments where your heart started pounding? This might even be true in business, like when you get around a really prominent, a la powerful person things begin to happen in your senses, like your five senses of your body. You feel things. Um, You might even feel like you're hearing things and seeing things, right? That happens to us in interpersonal relationship. And the more 
powerful and the more personal it gets, our senses heighten. Now, I want to say this to you about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, biblically speaking, spoken of, can be spoken as the breath of God, or there's this image in the Bible of wind. So when the breath of God becomes so proximate to you, and it's that powerful and that personal, don't be surprised today if you begin to feel stuff. It's not weird, and oftentimes we try to disregard it and be like, oh, this is crazy. No, it's God. If God were to show up here in his power and very personal to you, like knowing you by name, speaking you to you heart to heart, don't be surprised if you feel sensations. Jesus speaks to us in this passage about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, you may be unfamiliar, or you may kind of heard this before, that um, when God speaks to us through the scriptures, he speaks about himself, God, in a tri, that's three, un, oneness way. That's the Trinity. Okay, I'm certain many of you have heard that Christians believe in the Trinity before, but the Trinity is hard to understand. That's just fact. People come up with all kinds of images and illustrations to understand it, and they can be kind of helpful. I've found this image when I say, well, what's up with the Trinity? Just very helpful to understand the concrete realities of the Trinity. Here it is. So God is at the center. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not, you see that outside line? Is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The way theologians have chose to teach this is that they are distinct persons, but one God. So the Father is God. You see the line going through. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God, but they are not each other. They are distinct, but one. Try three, but yun. The Trinity. The best way I've found to speak about it or in my own mind to understand it is God, there's only one God. Christians aren't polytheists. We don't believe in multiple gods. We believe in one God, but that God is a community, a family, if you will. He is a community. In fact, you could say God in his very nature is the church before there was a church. The fundamental way the family is given birth is God. Today, we're going to just talk about one member of the Trinity, but we're going to be taught about that one member from the Son, Jesus himself. This comes from the very lips or tongue of Jesus himself when he says specifically, now I am going to him, that's the Father, the Trinity, now this is verse 5, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I say to you, it is for your good that I am going away. For unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Now, when he speaks about the advocate, we'll see in this passage, this is the Holy Spirit. There's a word that I want to bring to your attention. It's this word, which is the actual Greek word of advocate, which is paraclete. I want you to see this word. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. I want you to see it because it's just kind of a cool word, honestly. And when you begin to know it, you can sound a little smarter. But paraclete is translated in a few different ways. One is the way it's translated here, an advocate. 
Another way paraclete is translated is as the helper. So if you have another version of the Bible, it may say, I will send you the helper or advocate or in 1 John, it's spoken of as the comforter. Same word. So Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased the Bible in the message, just translated as friend. And I like that quite a bit. Because if you think about a really good friend, they help you, right? And can I get an amen right here? Of Do we need help? Yes. Are there a lot of times in your life where you just go, I just want someone to help me? Right? With simple stuff, like take out the trash. Or I'm thinking right now, I need help on my taxes. So I need a helper. But then when you get to this word that it's translated here as advocate, an advocate gets a little deeper than just help. It almost connotates a little bit more power to it. Of like, but it's someone who's like literally standing by my right hand, deeply both understanding me and speaking on my behalf. When someone doesn't understand me, they can help translate it. When I need speak spoken for, they speak for me. The Holy Spirit is a helper, an advocate, and one who in crisis, who in the midst of pain, comforts us, who's willing to sit by our side and maybe even open up his arm and bring us close to him. He is the friend of all friends. The scriptures say this, that a friend is one who sticks closer than the best of brothers. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the comforter, the friend. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away because I will send him. Now, this is interesting because Jesus came into real space and time as a real human being, walked the ground that we walk, took on flesh like we have. He was a real person born at a real time in the midst of a real culture. And he says, it's better for you that I go. Jesus, who was God, you go, how in the world could be better that you go? Well, if he goes and when he sends his breath, the wind, the power and personal reality of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit transcends time, transcends culture, transcends economic classes, transcends geographic distance. Right now, this morning, when it's nighttime in Europe, Right? In morning time in Hawaii, the Holy Spirit is speaking to people there, helping people there, advocating for folks there, comforting people in their pain there. The paraclete, our friend, is God. God in his omnipotence, all power is what that word means. The Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit is all powerful and astonishingly personal. Even already this morning, he's speaking to many of you sitting here. In fact, what I know is true is he's speaking to all of us. The question is, are we opening our hearts and our ears and our realities to listen? To walk and to obey. So Jesus begins to say, it's better for you that I go, that I would send to you this helper, this advocate, this comforter, the friend of all friends. When he comes, he says in verse 8, he will prove to the world. He will prove the world. Another word that gets brought up is convict. So here's the question of what's the Holy Spirit actually up to? The Bible says he's up to many things, but in this passage, there's three primary things that the Holy Spirit is up to. 
And I said it that way of what is the Holy Spirit up to? Because this means what he's up to right now in the midst of this room, in the midst of us as a community of people following Jesus, who in the midst of this are people with a bunch of questions about Jesus, a bunch of confusion about our situations and our real lives. He's up to these things right now. He is helping us, because he's the helper, through conviction. That's the word that comes out here as prove. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. One of the primary workings of the Holy Spirit is to bring about conviction. Think of a courtroom. Conviction or being proved wrong is where we get the word guilty. And we don't like this. I don't like it. I don't like being proved wrong. Right? When you're in a situation with your family and they're like, you're wrong. Or at work, you're wrong. That doesn't feel good. But truth is, a good friend is not just tender and a comforter, but they're firm in their directness because they love you. So this reality of bringing about conviction of, hey, you're walking a path that actually leads to darkness and destruction, it's loving for that person to stand in your path and go, no, that's better. Now, we hate this idea of being called on or having sin pointed out in our lives, true? Like, it's not fun. But truth be told, when you make New Year's resolutions or you make first quarter resolutions or second quarter or every day your intentions are to do this, you're saying to yourself you want to change. But the truth is, in human life, and this is just fact, there's nobody that we can dupe like we can dupe ourselves. Is that right? I mean, there's nobody we lie to more than we lie to ourselves about ourselves. So liberation and releasing, finding freedom in your life is when you're willing to recognize who you truly are and stop trying to be an imposter. Now, oftentimes, it's really helpful to have outside help do that. It's helpful to have a friend like that. It's helpful to have a family member like that. It's helpful to have a spouse like that. But when God does it in such personal and direct ways to confront us in our sin. Folks, that is a door opening to liberation, to freedom. Don't reject it, receive it. He's working right now and he's saying the world's wrong about sin. The world's wrong about righteousness. The world's wrong about judgment. It'll tell you all these things like sin isn't that important and it's an archaic thought and whatever. And yet they'll talk all the way around in the real world about how we got to fix stuff in the world. Every policy that's established in Washington, every program that shows up to make your life better on Instagram are recognizing at the core level sin. Things aren't right. That's true. And the Bible says things aren't right ultimately because we have fractured, separated our relationship with the one we were made by and for, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. That's sin. Because we're fractured in our relationship from the one we are made by and for, we're fractured in our relationship with ourselves, with other people. Things are so hard in relationships. Relationships are both the best thing in the world and the hardest thing in the world. Am I right? 
They are. Because of this reality of sin, my favorite definition of sin comes out all throughout the Bible, but you can see it very clearly at the end of the book of Romans. Sin is anti-love. That's what it is. The breaking of all of the law of God is anti-love, anti-love of God and anti-love of neighbor, which is why Jesus, when asked what's the greatest of all the commandments, says, love God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all the Bible, he says, all the law and the prophets. Love. The Holy Spirit is working this morning to bring about and to draw our attention to where we are off in our love for God and in our love for people. In this sense, maybe the people who are sitting right next to you, literally most proximate to you in the room, he helps us through conviction. Then he says he helps us through guiding. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but he, when he, it's the advocate, when he, and then he names him the spirit of truth, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, the way the Bible teaches about lies that the world promotes, about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment, it's like they're spouting lies that lead to darkness. So in the midst of darkness, you need a guide that will lead you to the light. I just had this thought of the Mumford and Sons song, Guiding Light. I don't know why, but you can check it out afterwards. But... They lead you to the light. That's the truth. They lead you to the way. The spirit of truth guides us into all truth. What is he guiding us to? To Jesus who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. As the Holy Spirit draws us, listens, this whole passage is like the Holy Spirit will only say and do what he hears. From whom? At the very end of this verse, he says, from Jesus himself. Jesus Christ, God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, is speaking through his breath, the Holy Spirit, right now to us. And in his speaking, he will reveal sin, conviction, and he will guide us in truth. In the midst of confusion, Christ is the clue. In the midst of walls being erected in front of our face or the feeling of They feel, maybe they're metaphorical walls, but they feel literal. Christ is the key. He is the clue in confusion, the clue to our questions, and the key to reality. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into all truth, and he does it by speaking. And I'm telling you right now, it literally feels like that. That's what it actually feels like. Like, you have these moments where you're like, God, this is weird. Like, Things are coming upon me, sensations, and I feel like someone's talking to me. Let me for a minute just play the helper role. There is someone talking to you. It's God. This is why when you, when you sit in this role a lot, um, there are people who will come up to you after service and they'll be like, that felt like you were talking directly to me. And it's like, I don't even know you. <laughs> Right? How could I be talking directly to you? Or someone will invite a friend. And then the friend afterwards is like, should I say it? Should I say it? And then finally they're like, did you tell him I was coming? <laughs> no, I, I didn't say a word. Like, I don't even hardly know that pastor very well. Or um, even if you do, no, I didn't tell him you were coming. That's because they're, they're wrestling with the personal nature of the work of the Holy Spirit, who is God. 
who is speaking to you about Jesus. Very specifically, and Christian, this is for you as much as it is for the person in this room who would say they don't follow Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit doesn't begin to work in different ways. He works now for you through conviction. He works now for you through the guiding of his voice. And then ultimately he says the Holy Spirit will glorify me, verse 14. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he is making known to you. Here's what he's saying. As the Spirit of God's talking, Jesus is talking. God's talking. So what glorifying me means is he's inviting us to be caught up into the very life. Hear this word very clearly. The very life of God. This is an invitation for us to step into God and him to absolutely consume and take us over. That's what we were made for, the Bible says. We were made by and for Jesus Christ. So the question now is, is for us to recognize this very last verse. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he is making known. You know what known means? He's making it known. We, you feel it. You sense it. He's bringing about right now knowledge by inviting you to live with him. For him to, yes, walk with you, but not just walk with you, for you to experience union with him at a deeper level. So now the question is, what are the three things we can do with the Holy Spirit? Like right now, when you hear all that, if he's making known something to me, what are things we can do. I was just sitting with an older um, British couple. They're in their 70s. And they told me a story about sitting with a man, a wise, wise spiritual sage of a man who's in his mid-80s. And they were meeting with this man at the end of the day. And they said he was very tired. Now, if you're in this room and you're old in your 70s or 80s, I feel like this in my 40s. But there are these moments when you get tired where your body begins to sink and your shoulders kind of shrug forward and your head goes down. So when you listen to a really boring preacher like me, look around the room and you'll see some older people just like this. <laughs> right? But th- this is what happens when you're really tired. And they said they were sitting at this age of a man and he's in his mid-80s and he's sitting like this. And they say to him, what do you think the Spirit is saying to the church today? Now, that's a question that actually comes directly out of the first couple chapters in the book of Revelation, where it says, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So they ask that question, what do you think the Spirit is saying to the church today? And they said the man's chin went up, his shoulders went back, and he looked at him like this, and he said, there's three things we can do with the Holy Spirit. We can quench him. Now, when he said that, he was speaking about this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, do not quench the spirit. Now, when you think about quenching something like thirst, this has to do with his power because we said the Holy Spirit is both, come on, people, powerful (laughs) and personal. So this has to do with his power. Don't quench his power. When his power is being breathed out in the midst of you and upon a room, like will happen now and is happening today, not because I'm an excellent communicator, but because God's God. Don't quench it. Don't stop it up. Don't stuff your ears. 
the Bible says. Don't quench him. Don't overlook his power. Let his power move. He says, number two, we can grieve him. This is the personal side because the Holy Spirit is both powerful and personal. This is the personal side. We can grieve him. The heart of anyone who loves you is grieved when you don't want to be with them, when you overlook them, when you ignore them. God wants to be with you. He wants you to see him. He wants you to experience him. He wants to relate to you at the most intimate of ways. He isn't frightened by your sin. He pushes through it because he loves you. So when he's speaking to you and when he's breathing, when the spirit of God is coming upon us, it's the breath of God coming upon us. Don't quench him. Don't grieve him. So this man said there's three things we can do to the Holy Spirit. We can quench him. We can grieve him. And then they said he looked up and even more energy kind of came about in his old frail body. And he said, or we can let him have his way. So here's the question. Will we let the Holy Spirit have his way? Will you allow him to expose your sin? Will you allow him to guide you? Will you allow him to stand beside you? Will you allow him to rock your world? Will you allow him to lead you to life? So when we sit in this room, we're going to move right now into moment, moments of response. Every time we gather together, we have these elements that are sitting on your seat, which look like kind of a weird plastic cup of liquid. But the truth is, Jesus, when he gathered with his disciples, said, hey, every time you gather together, um, eat together Literally what he's saying is of me. And he pulled up bread and he said, this is my body. And then he took this cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This new covenant where he would be in us and we would be him. He would be our God and we would be his people. And in the church, there's a huge mystery around this moment of communion, of what's actually happening here. And let me just say this, I don't know. I know what it communicates is God's desire to dine and commune with us at the most intimate of levels. I know that in this moment we're remembering that his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin meant God wouldn't even allow our sin to get in the way of how much he wanted to be with us and in us. And I know this bread means eat of me, participate in me, let me come into you. So the question now is, will we let him have his way? If you're sitting in this room and you do not, have never believed this, you're about to watch people whose lives have been transformed and that in Jesus' blood, they're washed of their sin. That's what the water is and being raised to newness of life. And at this moment, you're gonna have a moment, not just here in communion, but a moment to actively receive God. I'm gonna sit right here during these baptisms. People are gonna walk out of this space, walk right in front of me. I'm gonna stand right there. Any of you that want prayer, that go, I don't know exactly what's happening, but I wanna be prayed for that God would open it up for me. 
that God would come into me. If it's a challenging situation, if it's first time you say, I want Jesus, I'm gonna stand right there. As people are being baptized, you can walk up. Now, if you're over there, you go, I don't wanna walk in front of the baptismal. You don't have to. Walk behind and right up that row, and I will stand right here and pray with you. For all the rest of us, watch. This is a picture of what God does with real people through the power of the Holy Spirit, convicting them, guiding them, and ultimately glorifying him by bringing us into his life. I'm gonna pray, you take communion on your own, and we're gonna celebrate. Father, we pray the Holy Spirit would have his way this morning. God, that you would do only what you can do, and I know you're doing it. God, let us be a responsive people to you, to your voice, to your breath. For just like the wind um, that blows and nobody knows from where it comes or where it goes, so it is of all of those who are born of the Spirit. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.